Would you please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4? We'll be finishing 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning, looking at verses 12 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is God's word. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning desiring to hear from you. And so that we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would help us understand, believe, and live according to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of us who haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks and the last couple of months, we've been studying the letter of First Peter. This letter was written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, and he wrote it to believers who were scattered all throughout Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And as they began to live their lives as Christ followers, they were treated poorly, and they experienced various forms of suffering from the culture around them. And so Peter is writing this letter to encourage them. And he has two ways, two main ways of encouraging them throughout this letter. He tells them to look to Jesus, who has secured for us a living hope and an inheritance in heaven. But he also tells them to look at the life of Jesus, because Jesus taught us how to suffer. He too was mistreated and persecuted. And again today, Peter returns to the subject of suffering. We will see four things in the text before us. So the first one, don't be surprised in your suffering. The second one, rejoice in your suffering. The third, don't be ashamed in your suffering. And the last one, trust God in your suffering. And my main point this, this sermon, what I hope that you would just leave remembering this morning is suffering is normal and necessary for those who follow Jesus. Suffering 
is normal and necessary for those who follow Jesus. Take a look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you. Notice that Peter calls these suffering Christians beloved or loved ones. His motivation for writing is out of genuine love. He knows he's going to give them a hard word. And so he reminds them of his care for them. This is a great example of discipleship. What does it look like to be a faithful Christian friend? You speak the truth, but you also do it in love. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. The first thing that we learn in these verses is don't be surprised in your suffering. The point is right there in the text. Yet we are often surprised by the hardships and suffering that comes our way. We often complain. We begin to doubt God. Some of us come to Christ with this idea that our lives are just going to be easy. But unfortunately, this is not the Christianity that we find in the Bible. It costs to name the name of Jesus. Some of us have bought into this approach of Christianity that emerges from bad teaching that has nothing to do with the teaching and example of Jesus. There's no, there's no guarantee that following after Jesus means you won't experience pain and suffering. And why would we ever think that? For those of us who have a Bible for those of us who actually read our Bibles, why for one second would we think that the Christian life does not involve suffering and painful trials? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's often referred to as the, the Saints Hall of Fame. This is where the author of Hebrews gives us a list of men and women from the Old Testament who had such incredible faith in God. And near the end of this chapter, starting in verse 36, there's this description of what some of these faithful men and women experienced. Hebrews 11:36 says, "Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment." They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. After reading a section like that and thinking about our lives and the painful trials that we've been through, we have to notice that we are living in a period of great grace. A period of great grace. We're able to meet in this beautiful church building 
And it's obvious to the community around us that we are a church who worships Jesus. Is that a little distracting? Test. All right. All right, so consider Hebrews chapter 11. After reading a section like that and thinking about the lives that we are living today, we have to thank God for living in such a period of great grace. Look at this beautiful church building that we are in. There's people outside in our community who know that we are worshiping Jesus here. The government knows that we are worshiping Jesus here. We have tax exemption status. That's crazy. We're able to invite people to worship with us through social media without people finding us in in our homes and dragging us off to prison. But at the same time, we don't know how long that's going to last. The Apostle Peter was writing to Christians who were in a similar situation. They were experiencing a mild form of persecution. But we know from history that eventually there was a great fire and Christians were blamed for that fire and a great horrific suffering happened with the church. And so we don't know what will come our way But brothers and sisters, underline this in your Bibles. Write this in your notes. Ask the Lord to write it in your heart. Do not be surprised in your suffering. Don't think that it's something strange happening to you. Our Lord Jesus told us to expect opposition. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, Jesus says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. We should not be surprised when we experience fiery trials. Peter has been explaining this to his readers over and over, even from the beginning of this letter. He said, you are exiles, you are strangers. And in that passage we just read from the Gospel of John, Jesus says that if you were of the world, the world would love you. They wouldn't come after you with insults and threats. But Jesus says, I chose you out of the world. And so because we have been chosen, because we have been elected and are not of this world, because we build our lives on truth, humility, holiness, and a desire to glorify God because we name the name of Jesus and call ourselves Christians, the world hates us and will persecute us 
like it persecuted Jesus. We should not be surprised. Rather, we should be surprised if we don't suffer. If we're not suffering as Christians, could it be that we are more like the world and less like Jesus? Jesus said in Luke 6, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Because the gospel is offensive, people will take offense. And if everyone is speaking well of you and nobody is offended, then maybe you have created this Christian bubble around yourself where you're just hanging out with Christians and not hanging out with worldly people and evangelizing and sharing the gospel. That's not the Christian life. We are to be in the world and not of it. Maybe everyone is speaking well of you because you aren't preaching the gospel and you aren't living a life honoring Jesus Christ but are being influenced by the world. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you don't have any enemies, maybe your godliness isn't showing. Maybe you do look more like the world than you think. But if you are experiencing suffering, don't be surprised. It's not strange. It's completely normal for faithful Christians to experience persecution. But I do want to be clear, we don't look for it. We don't want it. We don't go out of our way to make it happen. But if we remain faithful to Jesus Christ, living godly lives and sharing the hope of the gospel with the lost world around us, we will experience hostility. And when you do, don't be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Here in verse 12, Peter calls it a fiery trial because he loves these believers. He isn't sugarcoating what they will face. He's telling the truth. The trial will be hard. It will be painful. It could last a long time. And because it's a trial, it has a purpose. Peter says that the fiery trial comes upon to test you. He's using the same terminology that he has used before in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Peter writes, In this you rejoice now for a little while, if necessary. You've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is the one who sends trials and sufferings to us. He does this for the same reason a goldsmith puts gold into the fire. It will not destroy it, but in order to get the purest form of gold possible, he has to put it in the fire. 
And he also wants the person who owns the gold to be confident that it has been tested by fire to be genuine. And so the goldsmith takes that piece of gold, places it into the fire, and all of the impurities are burned off. And what remains is pure gold. God wants a purer faith than we already have. He wants to remove the impurity of sin through trials. He wants us to learn to not rest on our circumstances or other people or even ourselves. And so he puts us through these various trials in order to purify and test the genuineness of our faith. The fiery trial comes upon us to test us. Please note that God doesn't do this so that he would know if our faith is genuine. He is sovereign. He knows. But he puts our faith through the fire so that we could know if our faith is genuine. He wants to show us. He wants us to see at the end of whatever that we go through that our faith is still there. And in that moment, we will realize that it was divinely given. Your faith is more precious than gold, and God puts you through trials in order to purify you, to encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Don't be surprised in your suffering. And the next point, rejoice in your suffering. Look at verses 13 and 14. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter says, don't be surprised or shocked when suffering comes your way, but rejoice. Have joy. That's hard right? It's hard to have joy when we're suffering. But Peter gives us the reasoning for this joy. He says, this joy is found through seeing that we share in the sufferings of Christ. To be clear, the suffering we experience isn't redemptive. Jesus is the one who died for our sins. He is the one who suffered for our sins. But our suffering is a result of our union with Jesus. Peter's been explaining that there's this pattern that the Christian must follow after Christ. First, suffering, and then glory. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.10 that he longs to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. When we share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings through the fiery trial, we are led to love the world less and less and are more satisfied with Christ alone. Suffering trains our hearts to find satisfaction in Jesus. We rejoice because if we are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, if people who oppose him come after us, 
then that means they see something in us that looks like him. Sinclair Ferguson, one of my all-time favorite preachers, said that when he was a young teenager, someone taught him this, that whenever he experienced hostility for living out his Christian faith, he would say to the Lord, Lord, this really isn't about me. This is about you. And I'm so glad that they see something in me that makes them identify me with you. That's amazing to me, Lord. How different would our suffering be if we had that mindset? To think in that moment, Lord, this isn't really about me. It's about you. And they see Jesus in me. Rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ. And although our suffering is unjust, we know that when Jesus returns in glory, we will share in that glory. This is why we rejoice. Peter continues in verse 14 and says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. How are you blessed? Well, he says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What a beautiful verse. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of glory mentioned here. And he has this special ministry to those who are suffering for Christ. He brings comfort. He reminds us of the gospel. He assures us that our afflictions are momentary. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that a believer is able to have the resolve and strength to live an uncompromising life in the face of suffering. This verse proves that God is powerfully present in the lives of those who suffer. We await this future glory. By the power of the spirit of glory, we get a taste of that glory here on this earth as we suffer. I want to share a story about a faithful pastor who lived and ministered to the underground church in communist Romania. Joseph Tong was arrested and imprisoned several times during the 1970s, and he was charged for being a Christian minister. One time an officer threatened Pastor Tong with a gun he asked him to renounce his faith and stop preaching. And this is how Pastor Tong responded. Sir, let me explain how I see the issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here's how it works. You know that my sermons on tape have spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know I died for my preaching. And everyone who has a tape will pick it up and say, I better listen again to what this man preached because he really meant it. He sealed it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. Later, Tong found out that another officer said, we know that Mr. Tong would love to be a martyr, 
but we are not that foolish to fulfill his wish. Tong thought of that, considered the meaning of that statement, and said, I remembered how for many years I had been afraid of dying. I had kept a low profile because I wanted badly to live. I had wasted my life in inactivity. But now that I had placed my life on the altar and decided I was ready to die for the gospel, they were telling me they would not kill me. I could go wherever I wanted in the country and preach whatever I wanted, knowing I was safe. As long as I tried to save my life, I was losing it. Now that I was willing to lose it, I found it. What an amazing testimony of God's presence in the midst of extreme suffering. Pastor Tong was not surprised by the fiery trial, and he rejoiced at the thought of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. He experienced the spirit of glory and of God resting upon him during these sufferings because only by the spirit was he able to rejoice and say, if they kill me, then all glory to God. If they kill me, that means victory. Pray that God would give us this type of boldness if that type of suffering ever comes our way. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. While our sufferings can feel heavy and painful and long, they're light and short in comparison to what is awaiting us. We rejoice because we have a future hope. We rejoice because God blesses us with his spirit even in the darkest moments of suffering. Do not be surprised in your suffering. Rejoice in your suffering. And the next point here is don't be ashamed in your suffering. Take a look at verse 15. Peter wants to make perfectly clear that we should not be the cause of our trials. Suffering that is brought about from our own sin should make us ashamed. He says, but let none of us, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. We live in an age where everybody gets triggered. We take offense and play the victim card whenever we get hurt. But Peter is saying you cannot claim persecution if you sin. Those who break the law deserve the punishment that comes their way. So if you break the law, you're not entitled to say, I'm suffering for Jesus. You are not. You are suffering because you broke the law. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer. It's kind of interesting that Peter uses that word meddler, though. What is meddling? Meddling is involving ourselves in something that is none of our business. We do that often. 
So if you are sticking your nose in somebody else's business and you get caught and they come after you, you deserve it. You aren't suffering on behalf of Christ, but because of your own sin. Suffering for your sins does not prove your allegiance to Christ. It could actually prove that you have not let go of your worldly passions. Don't be the cause of your trials. If you are suffering because of your sin, you should be ashamed. But if you are suffering for being a Christian, you should not be ashamed. Look at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Don't be ashamed in your suffering. During Peter's time, the name Christian was not a word that believers used to identify themselves. It was actually a word that the culture used to identify and shame those who were following Jesus. But Peter is saying, if there's enough about you that shows that you are a Christian, you should rejoice and glorify God in that name. And Peter's saying this because he knew what it was to be ashamed of Jesus. You all remember that time when he denied Jesus three times? We find ourselves in similar situations where there is peer pressure. Maybe friends at school or a coworker, and they know that you're a Christian. They're difficult with you. You, you feel ashamed. Peter has felt that pressure as well, and he writes this letter to speak to us and say, I know, I've been there, and I've failed. And I want to say to you, don't be ashamed in your trials. Sometimes in our suffering, we lose sight of the beauties and the blessings of the gospel. And when trials come, when suffering is in our face, we feel ashamed, but instead we must ask ourselves, how can I glorify God in this? How can I glorify God in this trial? Pray to the Lord to help him give you wisdom and how to respond to the hostility. One of the commentators that I was reading this week said, maybe a smile could be what the Lord gives you. Someone's coming at you, slandering you, maybe it's just a smile. Wear the name Christian proudly and glorify God in that name. Don't be surprised in your suffering. Rejoice in your suffering. Don't be ashamed in your suffering. And lastly, trust God in your suffering. Look at verses 17 through 19. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And he's quoting Proverbs here. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Perhaps Peter is thinking of the Old Testament book of Malachi here as he's writing this. 
all throughout this letter, Peter is either quoting or referencing the Old Testament. And in Malachi chapter 3, there's this prophecy of the coming of Jesus. And as he comes, he's going to purify the priests in the temple. Malachi calls Jesus a refiner's fire and says that as a refiner and purifier of silver, he will purify the sons of Levi or the priests of the day and refine them like gold and silver. They will be tested and purified by his judgment. And when Jesus came, this prophecy was fulfilled. He purified the temple. He purified the sons of Levi. And this helps us understand what Peter means by it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Earlier on in 1 Peter, Peter has described believers as living stones being built up into a spiritual house. He's called us a royal priesthood. We are the household of God, and judgment starts with Christians. This judgment is a part of the final judgment that's happening right now. Believers are disciplined through fiery trials that refine us. They sanctify us. They help us become more godly. They help us to hate worldliness, to hate our sin, which clings so closely, which remains in our hearts. Our suffering prepares us to share the gospel boldly. It prepares us to suffer in a way that glorifies God and also gives us hearts for those who are causing the suffering. It creates a humility so that we don't respond back with evil towards those who come at us, but we pray for them. We desire that they come to know Jesus. We pray like Stephen as he was stoned to death, that God would forgive them. God sends suffering to his church in order that they would be purified. And keep in mind, this is not punishment Christ was the one who was punished for our sins. When you or I experience alienation and suffering, we shouldn't be surprised. We should rejoice because it isn't there to destroy us. This is the refining work of God, making us more and more like Jesus. And the song that we're going to close on this morning, Christ is mine forevermore, it speaks of being one with Christ and experiencing harm and hatred for his name. And there's that line that says, I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. This is what God is doing when he sends the fiery trials our way. When judgment begins with the household of God, it's to complete that work. And in verse 19, Peter says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Therefore, when suffering comes, notice it's according to God's word. He's the one who brings the suffering. Let us entrust ourselves. Don't run from the one who's disciplining you. See that the trials are coming from the hands of a loving father 
endure the hardships and entrust yourself to the one who created everything, the one who is all-powerful and will comfort you in every affliction. And so whenever opportunities to share the gospel come up or the anxiety rises within you because you know that you're probably going to experience suffering for your faith. And trust yourselves to the faithful creator while doing good. Trust God in your suffering. And while Christians are called to trust in this letter, Peter also gives a warning to those who don't know Jesus. Look again at verses 17 and 18. Peter says, What will become of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He's saying that if believers go through this immense amount of suffering in their lives through God's discipline in order for sin to be removed, how will God deal with those who do not repent of their sins in the final judgment? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, please listen to this warning. You are not safe. There is no loophole for you. If you reject Christ and say no to the gospel message, given the discipline that God shows towards those who are his, how do you ever think you're going to escape the judgment that comes on those who are not? There's no escape unless you find it in Jesus Christ. Entrust yourself to the faithful creator. There is no other name given uh, under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. Judgment is coming. And there's only one place that is safe, and that is in Jesus Christ. And here he invites you to come to him, to trust him. Don't be surprised in your suffering Rejoice in your suffering. Don't be ashamed in your suffering. Trust God in your suffering. God is at work right now in his church, purifying us, making us more and more like Jesus. And so when you encounter harm and hatred for his name, rejoice. When you suffer, do not be ashamed for being a Christian, but glorify God in that name. Look to Jesus, who through his suffering entrusted himself to God. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Christ suffered 
He entrusted himself to the heavenly Father in order to bear our sins, to suffer on the tree so that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. And so believers, Calvary Baptists, we are called to follow in those steps. First suffering and then glory. As he entrusted himself to the Father, we must entrust ourselves to him while doing good. In the fiery trials that come, may we be rejoicing and glorifying God and proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Suffering is normal and necessary for those who follow Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We are encouraged that you are the one who sends trials our way, not to destroy or punish us, but to make us more like your son, Jesus. Help us to not be surprised when we are tested through fiery trials, but to rejoice in the fact that we have the privilege to share in the sufferings of Jesus. We have the privilege of the promise of comfort from the Holy Spirit. Lord, we confess that there are moments in which we are so anxious about sharing the gospel. We are so anxious about living holy lives in front of a watching world. And we have often chosen to be quiet. Forgive us, Lord. Give us boldness and the ability to not be ashamed of that name, Christian. Lord, we pray for those who do not know you, that they would hear this warning of judgment and seek safety in Jesus Christ, who has died for the sins of those who believe in him. We entrust ourselves to you, our faithful creator. In Jesus' name, amen.